Hello listeners and welcome to the Monta Weekly Podcast, bringing in the most topical energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Sverison. I'm joined today by my colleague Nora Kamprad-Bulli, who is uh, Montel's editor Germany. And our guest today is Guru Ormot from Startcraft. A warm welcome to you, Guru. Thank you. You're you're the author of a recent report, are you not, about more the global energy systems and the future. It's sort of it's it's a view or a vision of what's going to happen up to 2050 into mm-hmm. a into a net zero carbon world. Could you tell us a little bit more about the background to this report and why Startcraft, a power company, has written a report about the the global the total global energy system? Uh, Startcraft has for many years been really deep on power market analysis on a quite long horizon, 20-30 years. Mm. But what we see in the, the last years is that to an increasing degree, the whole energy complex is important for the development within the power sector. So what happens uh, within buildings, industry and transportation is crucial for the development within the power sector. So the last years we spend much more effort into understanding the whole complex. Mm. Um, and a part of that work is then this low emission report. So it's kind of a holistic approach, yes. taking everything into into yes. consideration. Yes. Absolutely. So, so what are the main characteristics? Or if I were to ask you to to summarize the main <laughs> findings of your of, of the of your report, first of all, a most important driver is technology. Uh, we say that we are optimistic when it comes to technology development, mm-hmm. but still realistic as this shall add value mm. to our insights. And then we see how the world pans out. So we don't say that this needs to end in a two-degree world or this needs to end in a zero-emission world. We just mm-hmm. say we see the huge trends that we've seen within technology cost development the last years. Mm. And we see what happens if we actually let that continue going mm. forward. Mm. And then we end up <clears throat> in a world that has emissions that are consistent with a two-degree pathway. It's been a few months since you released the, the report. Have you have you made any changes or have you updated any parts of it? Uh, no, we haven't. Uh, when we analyse up until 2050, mm. the, the changes <laughs> today needs to be really, really big to have a huge impact. Exactly, yeah. So we haven't done that and this is usually a yearly exercise. But of course, mm. if there were huge incidents that we thought we should mm. take into account, we would do that. I mean, part of it is in, in the, in the sort of current environment uh, on the on the sort of policy side and also from the grassroots development there's a big you know you have the extinction rebellion you have Greta Thunberg you have you know there is a lot more attention on on the climate crisis do you think the pressure is building on politicians to create the kind of framework that you're talking about in your report yes that's uh, i think a very also an important driver what we see in the public opinion these days mm. And that is important uh, for many reasons. Uh, one reason is what you say, that uh, uh, it puts pressure on pol- uh, politicians to actually take actions mm. and it enables them to take uh, decisions that hasn't been uh, very popular. But the power in the public opinion also is forceful when it comes to people requesting climate-friendly solutions, climate-friendly products, mm. products that are produced based on sustainable energy, mm. and also changing behavior uh, when it comes to transportation and so on. Mm. So, so, of course, the public opinion and, and the momentum we see there is extremely important for how this can develop going forward and how fast the development can 
can be. What struck me in the report was also you talked a little bit about the tendency in the in in the world to for more conflict and that there's a lack of cooperation on the on the climate issues here. Mm. Do you, do you think this will last, or do you think some of these the you know there are often some very strong characters out there in in the world, and and do, do you think that this will be exacerbated in the years to come? Currently, we don't see any big changes coming up. Mm. So uh, so it doesn't look that good currently. Mm. However, when we model this until 2050, mm. we need to believe in something on that horizon. And that's not given that that's the same as we see today. Mm. So there's a huge uncertainty when it mm. comes to this. And this is uh, extremely important for how the how the world will develop. You mentioned that, you know, that China, the US and, and India are the world's biggest emitters. And now we've talked about the sort of grassroots pressure mm. that, that we're seeing. Is that working in those countries as well? Do you see that they are making an effort as well to bring down emissions or is this more of a European phenomenon? Mm. It's more of a European phenomenon, uh, although we see these tendencies also there. What is good currently is that the costs of renewables are now so low that in most places in the world, actually, it's cheaper to install new renewable capacity than it is to install new thermal capacity. Uh, and eventually, actually, in not too long, it will be cheaper to install new renewable capacity than to run existing gas in power plants, mm. depending mm. on where you are. Mm. So that is also an important driver and mm. uh, maybe more important drivers in these areas, at least now. Mm. So that's kind of the on the technology side. So yes. there's certainly with wind and, yes. and solar. Yeah. So we, we expect this development regardless of mm. kind of the other drivers, regardless mm. of political driver and, and, and public opinion, mm. although those are also important in these countries. Mm. I guess the US are a good example where we have seen coal yes. pushed out yes. Mm. despite yes. efforts uh, yeah. otherwise to, to maybe keep the industry going, yeah. uh, mm. where I think the technology costs for, for renewables have played quite a big uh, part as well. Absolutely. And, and, and gas. <laughs> and you see um, insurers pulling out of fossil fuels. And that's, exactly. That, so that's something yeah. that's maybe going to gather momentum so as well. So the capital market will also be important mm-hmm. when it comes to this development. Mm. I think one fourth of investments in the US last year professionally managed assets mm. they were in, invested uh, according to sustainability mm. absolutely i think you know shareholders and will and the public in general will add more pressure onto onto these investment mm-hmm. funds etc to, mm. to 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 pull out of 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 these thermal fossil fuel type of of funds you know, so uh, there are important drivers that is driving this in the right direction the mm. question is just how forceful are they and how quick will the change be? Speaking of quick, I mean, we've mentioned or you said that the sort of developments you've seen would take us to the uh, two degree uh, scenario. But you also looked at a 1.5 degree scenario and you said most of the measures or assumptions aren't really different. The big difference is speed. Yes. Mm. And I guess, again, technological advancement. Yes. With what we've just discussed, do you think there's a quite big or good chance that it would sort of accelerate by itself or do governments have to push Mm. for that extra speed? There are two main challenges, actually, to get into the 1.5 degree world. One is that it's a big change. Mm. It is a big change, and that takes time. Mm. Uh, You have to install a lot of renewables across the world, Uh, and also the electrification we're talking about, that will take a lot of time. For instance, 100 million personal cars needs to be changed from conventional cars to electric vehicles. Mm. And that is a big challenge. 
what is good is that we see that it's much cheaper to try to reach the 1.5 degree target than it is not to. Because mm. you have to cope with uh, climate change, which is extremely expensive mm. and kind of undercommunicated uh, when we're talking about uh, the costs of actually going there. But in order for this to happen, and that's kind of a final big challenge, is of course political challenge in this big change. Because there will be costs and there will be benefits and how to actually distribute that mm. across mm. in a way that seems fair to people between mm. nations, within mm. a country, between individuals. That's the big challenge, uh, and that will determine how fast we can get to the zero emission world. I mean, I think the, the global energy trends are, are, are fascinating, but often our focus is more on, on Europe, what happens yes. here. Uh, and obviously, I mean, Starcraft is a, is a global player, player, of course. Starcraft was one of the companies that yesterday urged a greater tightening of the 2030 targets, especially when it comes to decarbonisation. So calling for a 55% reduction rather than 40 uh, compared to 1990 levels. Mm. Do you expect this to happen by 2030? I know your, your companies, obviously they're mostly renewable companies that mm. are calling for this, but mm. do you think that uh, this is this is likely? Do you expect the new commission to come in and maybe make some, some key changes? What we see is that in order for Europe to cost optimally reach their 2050 zero, or carbon neutrality target, it would be needed to to tighten the 2030 target. Mm. Uh, so it makes sense to do it, mm. uh, but of course it's politically challenging. So Startcraft mentioned the 55%, uh, mm. you know, raising the ambition to 55% reduction. Mm. Are there any other factors that could, could come into play here, do you think? In general, it's a question of what kind of tool you use to reduce emissions. Mm. So, of course, subsidies, direct subsidies would kind of change the premises for the carbon price. Mm. But I don't have a view on the exact... Okay, no, sure, that's, that's fine. No, I mean, I think it's still it's all a matter of yeah, discussion, yeah, yeah. of course, at the moment as well. Um, but some people have talked about, you know, the linear reduction yeah. factor being increased and perhaps border carbon taxes so that you have a more of a global level playing, playing field. But of course, these are only, you know, discussion points at the moment. Yeah, so. mm. but uh, an important point is that in general, it's cheaper to start early to do things mm. rather than doing things mm. right before twenty. Uh, 50. Yeah, exactly. And then it might so, be too late anyway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A key part here is connecting uh, not just the, the energy or the power sector, but also the, the heating and the transport. So if, if you are to meet this 1.5 degree target or 2 degree target, do you think this is realistic across the board? I mean, it's in some countries, it's easier to do in others. I mean, have you any got any views on this? If we if we keep in, in mind uh, what's happening in, in Europe? In general, we see uh, due to the falling uh, technology costs that we have cheap energy available in the power sector. Mm. The last decade, the, the wind costs have fallen by uh, 50%. Mm. Solar fallen by 80%. Mm. So this is a huge change. And then in order to decarbonize transportation, buildings and industry, mm. um, you can utilize that cheap energy also mm. in these sectors. Mm. Of course, we have the challenges that we discussed previously uh, mm. that we need to get there from a political point of view. Mm. Uh, and that will be more difficult in some areas than in others. Mm. But uh, in general... Um, 
if you are to decarbonize, you should definitely choose electrification for the processes where you can actually electrify, mm-hmm. because that's a very low hanging fruit. And you have some other low hanging fruits, such mm. as energy efficiency, mm. uh, and you have more expensive solutions, mm. nuclear, CCS, and so on. Would this do to power demand if we electrify everything? I mean, obviously, we're now looking at a scenario where we want mostly wind and solar and uh, other renewable sources to provide the power. At the same time, more and more power might be required. Um, How do you square that? No, we say that solar and wind will cover that demand and we will need to build much more. In Europe, we increase the uh, demand by 60% from today until 2050, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And then we also need to replace the existing fossil stack in the power sector mm. with wind and solar, mostly. Mm. So it's a big change. Mm. What makes you so confident that we will get to uh, that renewables growth? Because taking the example of Germany at the moment, the, the country is planning to exit coal and is pushing that agenda more or less uh, successfully. But they've also seen almost a stop mm-hmm. in, in, in growth and onshore wind power. Mm. And that's both from a political side, but also from grassroots opposition. Mm. Yeah. So we have on the one side climate protesters saying we want more, we want faster, but on mm. a very local level, when it comes to building mm. the infrastructure necessary, you've mm. got opposition. Mm. Do you think that that might dissolve or, or how can you overcome that? That opposition will, f- of course, change uh, from now until 2050, but it might also get stronger. So it's mm. not a uh, given uh, in what direction you will see that. In the northern part of Europe, we're lucky to have quite cheap offshore wind available, at least in uh, some years. Mm. Uh, so that might be a solution. And mm-hmm. of course, solar in uh, installing solar is not as controversial mm. as wind. So that might be a solution to that. Mm-hmm. We expect a lot more solar, but also more wind. Mm. Okay. And what's Startcraft's position here on offshore wind versus onshore? I think it's quite balanced. We mm. expect a lot of offshore wind coming online, especially then in the northern parts of Europe where mm. it's starting to get cost competitive mm. compared to onshore wind. Mm. And we expect less in areas where it's more expensive mm. and where there's mm. plenty of space mm. uh, onshore, like other parts of uh, the world. What are the implications on this for the energy system as a whole? So if you have a primarily zero carbon generation stack, mm. How do you balance that when there, when it's not sunny, when it's mm. dark, when it's cold and there's no wind? I mean, yeah. what, what happens then? Yeah, Here we're actually quite uh, lucky in Stuttgart because we actually have the detailed uh, power models. Mm. So we can actually check out what happens. Okay. And what's interesting is that that challenge is much smaller than what people tend to think. Mm-hmm. So you can live with like 80, 90% almost intermittent renewables and still kind of have a system that's quite good fitted together. That's quite stable. Yes. Even, and, and the lights won't go out. Surprisingly stable. But then you need 10, 15% fossil. Okay. Uh, so in um zero emission world, mm. uh, first of all, we expect the demand, this new demand from industry buildings mm. and transportation to be more flexible mm. than the current power demand. But we also see that we will have need for some backup capacity that's uh, zero emission. Could be hydrogen, for instance, mm-hmm. zero emission gas, hydrogen mm. from renewables. From renewables. Mm. I mean, you also touch on ammonia here. What, yes. what, 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 how does that, what role does that play in, <laughs> in, in, the, storage of, in the storage of power? Uh, ammonia is uh, in our, our or is an energy carrier or mm. could be used as an energy carrier at least. 
in my head, it's hydrogen just in another form. Okay. So you produce hydrogen and you do something with the hydrogen and you still have a lot of energy content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can um, use that in a fuel cell in order to get energy out instead of using hydrogen in mm. the fuel cell. And ammonia has uh, other uh, characteristics than hydrogen, so it can be easier to carry, for instance. And not so, you know, not so dangerous, maybe. Or, yes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that hydrogen ammonia, they form part of the 10, 15 percent of yeah. the sort of, sort of backup. Could, could do. Could do, yeah. yeah. Or okay. you could have biomass with CCS, or you could have, or biomass without CCS, mm. other solutions, but mm. they are in general quite expensive. So yeah. that's the cost factor. And, and yeah. I just wondered, you know, obviously Startcraft is, is a major trader of power in the European markets. How, how will this zero carbon world or net zero carbon world, how will it affect the buying and selling of electricity? Have you had done any sort of modeling of this? Does this, I mean, currently, you know, you have exchanges, you have brokers, you have companies, you know, you have grid lines, you know, what's your view here? No, if anything, I would say that uh, we will have increased need for uh, at least the trading between countries mm -hmm. because in, uh, interconnectors and grid mm -hmm. will be extremely important. That's also, of course, an extremely important answer of the intermittency challenge. Mm -hmm. We build a lot of grid in our models mm -hmm. uh, because that's low cost compared to the alternatives. Mm. Although it's not cheap either. It's not cheap yeah. either. No. That's true. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, no, exactly. mm. um, but I think there will be a, a absolutely a continued need for uh, marketplaces and mm. there will be a need for both customers and producers to to lay off their risks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they could go small scale, maybe more on the distribution level as well as have the, the larger yeah, um, could, could power, be. power movements. Yeah. Yeah. And it will be be more complex because you have other players in the market than mm. what you have had up until now. Mm. With hydrogen sort of taking over, what will be the role of, of gas? I think your report touched a little bit on mm. that, you know, important in the beginning and then it, it sort of falls off. Mm. But how quickly will that happen? Now there's even talk of maybe not uh, financing any fossil fuels, including gas uh, mm. from a sort of European investment bank side. Mm. What does that do to the industry? In, in the end game in 2050, there's hardly any room for gas or emissions. Mm. And then you don't have room for gas with emissions. Mm. So that's as simple as that. But how fast that transition will happen and what you do the first 10, 15 years, that's a difficult question because it's, of course, better to burn gas to mm. get power than it is to burn coal mm. from a, an emission point of view. Mm. So it depends on what options you are actually left with mm. when you're closing down nuclear plants in, mm. in Germany. So we see that you will need gas for, for a while still. Is the, uh, the the price of CO2 a factor that, that can help that development? Mm. Um, the, the report again sort of assumes that uh, in the low emission scenario, I think the price of CO2 will be mm. was it 120 to 180. Uh, no, that was actually in the 1.5. So it's yeah, okay. 50 to 60. Okay, so. Yeah. Yeah. So is that a gradual rise to yeah. then a maximum yeah. of that by 2050? Yeah. Yeah. Not kind of, not an average out? So no. 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 Oh, okay. But why would prices continue to rise to higher levels when less and less demand mm. is generated as you exit the emission or strongly emitting uh, technologies? Uh, that's because we include also the industry and buildings and transportation sector and have a holistic view on this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of given some assumptions to begin with there. But mm. uh, then we kind of utilize or we see, of course, that uh, the CO2 price is a very 
cost-efficient measure to get to solutions that are the cheapest, mm. also within uh, buildings industry and transportation. So obviously some industry as well, it's very hard for them to lower some of their emissions. I mean, and the mm. cement yes, and some of the chemicals yes, industry yes, is very, yes, it's a very hard. Yes. So there'll always be that part maybe yeah. there and that will have to be, yeah. they'll have to cover those costs with yes. a high carbon price yes. or cover those emissions yes. with it. Yeah. Do you expect new nuclear plants to come into the picture here? Um, in the coming 30 years? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the answer to that question. Yeah. It, it takes too long. It's, it's, mm. It can't solve the climate crisis now, at least, mm. Mm. because it takes, yeah, you know, the, the projects in the UK. Mm. It takes far too long time. Or oh, Finland and France, they're the exactly. ones that are just yeah. miles yeah. behind yeah. schedule yeah. and yeah. over, yeah. over cost runs. And so. also, exactly, it's also costly. Mm. It's huge product, uh, projects and it's costly. So mm. we don't see that as a kind of market-based solution, but there might be a political solution in some mm. areas. Mm. How about floating wind or, or or solar? I mean, what what do you... That's obviously, I see you have a floating solar plant already yes. in Albania, yes. don't you? Yes, and do. I think Axpo is, is developing one in, in, in reservoirs in Switzerland as well. They don't floating float, solar. but they've put them on the on the walls of the reservoir. Okay, okay. They're, they're not, yeah. okay yeah. But still, it's new areas where you can yeah. fit yeah. Uh, large-scale uh, mm. solar yeah, mm. and I think it's related to your question mm. on where do you actually build these mm. renewables? Because the costs currently are very high for these technologies. Mm. And the way of getting costs down is to deploy a lot of them. Mm. So that will be the crucial question here. How fast will a lot or a high volume of these technologies be deployed? Mm. And currently, as long as there's enough space on land or for conventional bottom fix, Mm. This uh, will not uh, happen to a great degree, but it will. It can happen if there's need for it from mm. a space point of view. Mm. Mm. So it will probably come, but the question is how fast, when is it needed, and how fast can the cost reduction happen? Mm. And who's going to up, yes. upfront those costs? Yes, um, yes, for okay. projects that initially aren't. Like Germany did for solar yes. at the beginning of this well, decade. Someone needs to get the ball rolling exactly. here. Yeah. Fascinating discussion and a look into you know how the energy system would look like in the future. Mm. I think the COP starts uh, moved from Chile to, to Madrid. What are your expectations here? Mm. Are we likely to see any big announcements or any, any major breakthroughs here? <laughs> uh, of course, I hope uh, to, to see that. We, of course, see that uh, in order to reach the climate targets, the mm. NDCs needs to be tightened compared to what we see today. Mm. So uh, we're hoping for it. Uh, it's, of course, as I said, the whole development is depending on people feeling that this shift or this change is fair. Mm. And in order for it to be fair, it needs to be perceived as fair also between countries. So it's extremely important that most countries in mm. the world mm. uh, take part and, and uh, commit to, to what they uh, have pledged in the Paris uh, Agreement. That's about all we have time for today. So once again, thank you very much, Gri, for, for joining us. And to you, Nora. Keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Goodbye.